Today's text comes to us from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And the sermon is entitled, The Exclusive Authority to Forgive Sins. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic, lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. You may be seated. There is a very interesting question in the midst of today's scripture text. You can find it in verse 5. Jesus, when questioning the scribes, asks, For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? If you had to answer that question, which would you pick? Which is easier? You might be tempted to say, it is easier to say your sins are forgiven because things that occur in the spiritual realm are usually invisible to the human eye. In other words, there is no way to prove that a person's sins have been washed away. I could stand up here and say your sins are forgiven and whether or not you believe me is of your own volition but to all who see and behold it is questionable. There is no objective reality there that we can be able to say aha that we can point to and say there it is his sins are forgiven. On the other hand, there is no way to fake the healing of a paralytic. If you say walk and no one walks, then you are immediately seen as a fraud. It is as simple and as easy as that. Until this day, religion deals with the invisible spiritual, whereas medicine deals with the visible physical. Until this day, most men value which one? Medicine over religion. The visible over the invisible. Whereas scripture says to value those things that are invisible because those things are eternal, whereas the visible is temporal, humanity has always, and still to this day, since the days of Aristotle, whose father was a physician, and his philosophy derives of seeing the objective visible, to human beings till this day, have a very difficult time in prizing the invisible. The difference in value, by the way, is quite easily seen by just looking at differences in pay of a minister's pay versus a doctor's pay. A medical doctor, that is. We tend to be willing to pay for those things that we value most. If there were some tangible, physical ways of seeing the forgiveness of sins, then verse 3 would not have occurred. 
Think about what I just said. If there was a tangible way to prove that the forgiveness of sin had occurred, verse 3 would not have occurred. No one would have accused Jesus of blasphemy if it was possible somehow to visibly witness the forgiveness of sins. Of course, the problem of invisibility is what creates so many different religions in the world today. With so many competing voices, many are confused about which road truly leads to God and the forgiveness of sins. Virtually all religions address the sin problem. They all claim to have the solution. But since no one could actually see the washing away of sins, picking the right religion becomes an impossible task. If one is merely walking and working by sight and not by faith. The word religion, the etymology of the word, the word comes from two Latin words, re-ligare, which when put together means rebind. I point that out because it shows how intuitive our need for a Savior is. There comes a point in every human life when they realize, when he or she realizes that they are, he or she is a sinner. They realize that they are doing bad things and despite their best resolutions, they continue doing those things that are going to lead to their own demise. Additionally, all humans innately know that there is a God. They may not know who He is or how to have peace with Him, but they all know that God exists. Even atheists deep down inside know that God exists. Romans 1.20 puts it this way. Turn with me to Romans 1.20. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. A prime example of Romans 1.20 occurred a few years ago. In 2010, Anthony Flew died at the age of 87. For those of you who don't know who Anthony Flew was, Flew was a world-renowned philosopher who was part of the analytic and evidentialist schools of thought, and most notable for his work related to the philosophy of religion. During his lifetime, he taught at the universities of Oxford, Aberdeen, Kiel, and Reading. For most of his life, Flew was a strong voice for atheism. He was the face, if you will, of atheism. He argued that humans should all be atheists until some sort of empirical evidence of a God surfaced. In other words, atheism, he argued, ought to be our default position. Then came the shocker in 2004. In 2004, Flu suddenly announced that God probably did exist. Three years prior to his death, Flu, who wrote over 30 books against God in his lifetime, published his final work entitled, There is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. 
The book sits on my desk today. Two chapters, chapter two, in fact, of the book is entitled, Where the Evidence Leads. Flew was not a big fan of C.S. Lewis. In fact, they were, uh, they met each other and they spoke to each other, I believe, during their time at Oxford. And uh, Lewis's moral argument for the existence of God, if any of you were underneath my discipleship class, you know what that argument is. And Lewis was a a strong proponent of that argument. Flew was not a strong supporter. He was not a big fan of Lewis's moral argument for the existence of God. But Flew was eventually won over by the teleological argument for God's existence. In other words, the argument... Uh, from design. After many scientific discoveries emerged about the world around us, Flew could no longer hold on to his atheism. The world was far too complex. The human DNA and the genome mapped out. In fact, Francis Collins, the one who mapped out the human genome, wrote the little excerpt in the beginning of the book. on the cover of the book in fact the evidence was too much the world was far too complex and so he reasoned that there had to be an intelligent designer in other words Romans 120 was proven true yet again all know because the world around us God has made the world around us to shout his existence And so the university professor who was an atheist since the age of 15, his father, by the way, was a minister, theologian. Sad. Sometimes how boys don't walk in the steps of their dads. But at the age of 15, he became an atheist. This boy, finally at the age of 81, the ripe old age of 81, became not a Christian, but at least a theist. Someone who says, okay, there is a God. I see where the evidence leads. On the inside cover of his book, Ian Hutchinson, the professor and head of the Department of Nuclear Science and Engineering at MIT, wrote, and I quote, Anthony Flew's book will incense, or in other words, anger atheists who suppose erroneously that science proves there is no God. Flew is a distinguished philosopher whose position has been changed by the force of argument about the significance of scientific discoveries. This engaging personal retrospective on Flew's philosophical pilgrimage illustrates that it is dangerous for an atheist to think too hard about his religious commitment. He might become unconvinced, end quote. I like how he called atheism a religious commitment, for it is. As I said earlier, Anthony flew along with every other human being on this planet. uh, We are all aware of God's existence. We suppress it, but we all know. I have four children. I can't tell you uh, the age at which each one of them knew that God existed. They all are born with an innate understanding that there is a God. Hence, when you put that fact together with humanity's awareness of guilt, what you end up with is religion. Religare. 
a desire by humanity who recognizes that there is a God and that He is a sinner and that there is a chasm between God and humanity because of sin. Humanity, therefore, creates a way, in other words, He creates a religion to retie, to religare Himself with the Creator. Humans know that they are sinners and that their sins have separated themselves from God. Hence, they need to rebind, relegare, religion, their broken relationship with God. So whether it is the five pillars of Islam, kosher laws, or the seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church, mankind has adhered to all sorts of false ways in their attempt to reconnect with God. All humans are dying to hear what the paralytic heard from Jesus in verse 2. All of us hope to hear those words come out from the mouth of God one day. The most precious words on the face of this planet are found in verse 2. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Don't you want to hear God say that to you one day? Friend, there's nothing more important than hearing those words come out of God's mouth. By the end of today's sermon, I will give you a message, which if you believe, will assure you the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Today's central theological principle is Jesus has the divine power to directly forgive sin. It's very straightforward. Verse 1 opens with Jesus returning from Gentile territory and it says to his own city as opposed to Gentile territory. The city here, therefore, is the city of Capernaum which served as the home base of Jesus' ministry while he was in Galilee. Some believe that this healing took place in Simon Peter's home. Now his home could probably fit at max 50 people. And so many people were standing outside and listening to Jesus teach. This made it virtually impossible for the paralytic and the four men who bore him to enter in. But impossible is a word for the faithless. These men had faith. The gospel writer tells us that, their, that the men who bore the paralytic all had faith. The word is in the plural. Today's narrative is recorded by both Mark and Luke, and each one gives us unique details, thereby giving us a more comprehensive picture of what occurred that day. Mark informs us that the four men carried the paralytic to Jesus for healing, but when they couldn't get through to Jesus, they came in through the roof in order to have Jesus heal their friend. True faith doesn't allow anyone or anything to get in its way. The flat roof was made of branches or sticks and mixed with clay. And in this particular home, according to Luke, this home had clay tiles on the roof. They broke through those tiles, the sticks, the branches, through the roof in order to reach Jesus. And Mark records what happened next 
in this way. In the second chapter of Mark, verses 5 through 7. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now both Mark and Matthew record the fact that Jesus as God was able to read their minds. Verse 4 says that Jesus knew their thoughts. Mark states that the scribes were questioning in their hearts. And so Jesus, when He was able to uh, declare what was going on inside their hearts, displayed that He was God. Because only God is able to read the hearts of men. This again demonstrates the divinity of Jesus Christ. 1 Samuel 16.7 states, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Yes, Jesus as God was able to see the hearts of these men. But the greatest demonstration of his divinity will be his statement in verse 6. Yes, you can declare that Jesus was God by His ability to read the hearts of the scribes. But again, the greatest declaration from this chapter that Jesus was indeed God was His statement in verse 6. That He, as the Son of God, has the authority to directly forgive sins. Tell that to a Jehovah's Witness. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The scribes were absolutely correct about one theological point. Only God has the authority to directly forgive the sins of men. What Jesus declared in verse 2 would certainly have been blasphemy if He truly was not God in human flesh. And so a Jeffersonian Christianity that strips Jesus of His divinity is not Christianity. Listen carefully to me, my friends. Jehovah's Witnesses have just been kicked out of Russia. And they go around claiming, well, you've kicked Christians out. Any religion that declares Jesus not to be God is not Christianity. Amen? For only God has the authority to forgive sins. Listen to Leviticus 24.16. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregations shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. True blasphemy is worthy worthy of death. A mere mortal claiming the authority to forgive the sins of a human being is blasphemy. This, by the way, is the reason why the Catholic confessional is a complete farce. No human being is able to forgive another human being of his sins. No human being is, is, has the power to decree, do X amount of penance and your sins shall be forgiven. There is only one mediator between God and man and His name is Jesus Christ. Even the Old Testament prophets were not able to directly forgive the sins of men. The closest the prophet got was something along the lines of 2 Samuel 12, 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, 
The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Do you see what happened there? David sinned and Nathan doesn't forgive him. Instead, Nathan informs him that God has forgiven him. Why? Because only God has the authority to forgive sins. Brothers and sisters, our greatest need today is the forgiveness of sins. You don't need God to give you a new car. You don't need God to give you a better job. You don't need God to give you higher pay or a wife or a spouse. You need the forgiveness of sins from Almighty God. That is your greatest need today. Hallelujah. In fact, the only thing that will damn any one of us to eternal hell, there is only one thing that will damn us to eternal hell. Do you know what that is? It is unforgiven sin. Going to a Catholic priest and and saying, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned, will not wash away your sins. Going to Mecca will not wash away your sins. Killing a lamb at Passover and offering him on an altar will not wash away your sins. Muhammad cannot forgive you of your sins. Buddha cannot forgive you of your sins. The Pope cannot forgive you of your sins. Only Jesus Christ of Nazareth is able to forgive you of your sins. Hallelujah. Amen. He is the greatest solution to the world's greatest need. I want you to listen closely to the Word of God today and never forget these words when you are tempted by this pluralistic society which says that all roads lead to God. Acts 4.12 There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Matthew 1.21 she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Acts 10.43 All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Hallelujah. Luke 24.47 That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. There is only one way. Now that last verse is Luke's version of the Great Commission. And it has an important preposition in between the words repentance and forgiveness. Do you see it? The verse reads, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Before I continue, I have to let you know that there are two different Greek manuscripts which have two different readings of the same verse. If you're using the King James today, which is a good translation, it's derived from the Textus Receptus, which is a form of the Byzantine majority text. They have a conjunction in between the terms. So I know some of you have your King James today and the King James reads in Luke 24:47 repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The earliest Greek manuscripts however used as a source of translation by modern translators instead have the preposition for instead of the conjunction and. 
And you know what? Personally, I don't know which word was there in the original. But I'll give you my leaning, what I believe. But I want to state that I don't know which word was there in the original manuscript. What, which word did Luke actually write? I don't know. And you don't either. Nobody does. And anyone who says he knows is not telling you the truth because we do not have the originals. We have to choose between the existing manuscript copies and which formula of translation we think is best. Such as humanity and our limited knowledge. On one hand, however, the good news is that it doesn't matter. The text is clearly informing us that the gospel incorporates both repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Both texts would inform the reader that repentance is indeed part of the Great Commission. On the other hand, it does matter to some degree. And here's why. See, the preposition for... If it really was there in the original text which Luke wrote, the preposition for would undergird the teaching found in 1 Corinthians 6 9. That those who continue in sin. Without repentance, will not inherit the kingdom of God. The verse would teach us that repentance is necessary for the forgiveness of sins. That is a prerequisite. Do you see that? It's a small word, but how important... A word it is. I personally believe that the word for was there. If the word for was there, I'm not going to be adamant on it, but if it was there, and I lean towards it being there, it would teach us that faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin, and that without repentance... A person does not possess genuine faith. And if a person does not genu possess genuine faith in the gospel, then that person will not receive the forgiveness of sins. Do you see that? You have to repent for the forgiveness of sins. Which means that if you're in a homosexual relationship or a remarriage, which Jesus, Jesus labeled as adultery, you need to forsake and divorce those relationships in order for you to receive the forgiveness of sins. That's what re repentance entails, the forsaking of sin. Now this morning I opened up my sermon with a question. If you were standing in the crowd 
When Jesus asked the question, which one would you pick? Jesus, by the way, is not asking which one is merely easier to say. I know it says that, but that's not what he means, because both are equally easy to say. We could say whatever we want to say. We could make anything come out of our mouths. That's not what he means. Jesus is asking which one is easier to say with effect. In other words, is it harder to heal a permanent paralytic, or is it harder to wash away the sins of a man? That's what he's asking. Now, I want to answer the question. Both are impossible for humanity. Both. Both require divine intervention. Both. Only God can do. But I want to make a point here. Did you know that in Scripture... All diseases are ultimately intertwined and have their root in sin. I'm going to say that again. Did you know that in Scripture, all diseases are intertwined and ultimately have their root in sin? I know know we live in a culture that is very reticent upon saying, um, you should repent. There might be something going on in your life because you are afflicted with a certain disease. And I'm always careful as well because causation is always difficult for humanity to see. But if you just come from it from a scriptural perspective, the bottom line is all diseases intertwine and ultimately all disease have their root in the sin. The Bible says that death and disease entered the world because of sin. During his time on earth, Jesus is prominently known for two things. Preaching the gospel and healing the sick. Listen to Matthew 4.23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus was basically undoing the effects of the fall. Now, that's the bottom line. When we look at our world today, and it is ravaged by disease, we should understand that it is a world ravaged by sin. As a matter of fact, how do I know that all babies are sinners? Because there hasn't been a baby born into this world who hasn't died. Alright? Death declares sinfulness. And the only one who uh, died without sin volunteered for that job, and that was Jesus Christ. He died because He bore your sins. Sickness is the result of sin. And in the case of this particular man, it would seem as if his paralysis was a direct result of his past sins. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that? Look carefully at the text. I say that because in verse 2, Jesus, instead of addressing him and his disease and healing him, Jesus says in verse 2, your sins are forgiven. He knew that the men came to ask for his, their friend to be healed of paralysis. 
He knew that the man was there to be healed of his paralysis. And yet Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Although every case of human disease is not due to individual sin, both the Old and New Testament make it clear that some sins are due to an individual sin. Some sins are not. Do you remember the blind man in the New Testament? Jesus said this didn't happen to him because of this man's sin or his parents, but that the glory of God may be evidence. So not all sins occur because of an individual sin. All sin, how all disease, however, find its root in Adam and Eve, which is why I said earlier that it's intertwined. But some sins are because of your personal actions, because of your personal sin. And I think in this case, the paralytic was paralyzed because of his sins. A lot of scholars tend to believe that, and I agree, because the first thing Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. In other words, you are like this because of your sinful past. Now rise up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. Therefore, be healed. Where else do we see this in the New Testament? In the Corinthian church, God was literally killing some of them and striking them with diseases because they were taking the Lord's Supper unworthily. How important is the way we worship? Amen? God was literally striking them with diseases and even death because of their their sin. This, by the way, is also the reason why we discovered the Apostle James exhorting us to confess our sins so that our diseases would be healed. Look at James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Uh, There's a point of application there in James 5.16. There's a lesson for me as a minister who goes to pray for the sick in hospitals and homes and things like that. But there is also an application for you, the Christian, who prays for the sick. Whenever we pray for the sick, we ought to ask God that He would forgive the person's sins. That's the application from James 5.16. In some cases, it might be evident that the sickness is due to a person's sinful past. For example, in most homosexual AIDS cases, you know that the illness was acquired through a person's sinful past. You know that. Even unbelievers know that. I often hear about these horrible incidents that occur outside of clubs at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. Gunshot wounds. You know you're in pain right now because you were somewhere you weren't supposed to be. Sinning. However, in other cases, you may not know whether or not the sickness is the direct result of a person's sins. You just may not know. But because we are all sinners, and because all sickness is inevitably linked with sin, and because of verses like James 5.16, whenever I visit someone who's sick, I always ought to pray, God, 
forgive them of their sins, and heal them. A lot of times we just pray for healing. We don't pray for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus, and, and when you look at this story with the paralytic, he doesn't even talk about the healing of, 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 of the body until the scribes bring it up. The major problem here is sin. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and that you may be healed. Let's get to the root of the problem. I might not know whether or not you're being afflicted by God because of some sin in your life, but hey, I might as well pray for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's cover all our bases. And perhaps you know more than anyone else whether or not you need to repent of sin. And you may not have to, but in the event that you do, may God give you the gift of repentance. And then the healing, even physical healing that follows such confession and repentance. Amen? Allow me to close this morning's sermon with the ending of Anthony Flew. In uh, April 16, 2010, the New York Times ran an article entitled, Anthony Flew, Philosopher and Ex-Atheist Dies at 87. Apparently, when Flew published his last book, there were a lot of skeptics who disbelieved his departure from atheism. Here is an excerpt. Uh, from the end of that Times article, here's what it says. A long article in the New York Times Magazine by Mark Oppenheimer suggested that Mr. Flew, his mental faculties in decline, had been manipulated by his co-author and other Christian proselytizers. Mr. Flew, in a statement, however, issued through his publisher, reaffirmed the views expressed in his book, which did not include belief in an afterlife. I want to be dead when I am dead, and that's an end to it, he told the Sunday Times of London. I don't want an unending life. I don't want anything without end. Essentially, Mr. Flew reaffirmed his belief in God, or should I say the existence of a God, but he declared firmly that he was not a Christian. For Christians believe in heaven. We believe in a resurrection, amen? We believe in a life to come. We believe that death is not the end. Friends, I want to tell you this morning that it is not enough to simply believe in a God. Many Christians celebrated the fact that Flu was no longer an atheist, but they failed to see the harsh reality that belief in a God will not wash away sins. We must not only believe in the existence of God, we must also believe in Jesus Christ as God. For until we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who alone has the authority to forgive sins, we cannot be saved. It is infinitely weightier to have your sins forgiven than to be able to walk. That's the answer to the question. You can go to heaven as a crippled. But you certainly cannot go to heaven with your sins unforgiven. In healing the paralytic, Jesus demonstrated to the world that He was God. The only one who is able to make the lame walk and the only one who through whom, through whom any one of us can have the forgiveness of sins. Here's what Jesus once said in John 8.24. 
he told the Jews, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Friends, do not die in your sins. Anthony flew without faith in Jesus Christ as God died in his sins. Unforgiven sin damns a soul to hell. What about you this morning? There is no question more important. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? For unless you believe, you will die in your sins. For unless you believe, your sins will not be forgiven. Now listen carefully to the gospel by which, if you believe, you will have your sins forgiven. God is a holy and righteous God. He loves you, but He must send all sinners to hell. He is a God of justice. All humans, however, are sinners who deserve eternal punishment in hell from Almighty God. You and I are all sinners. We deserve to go to hell when we die. We are guilty. 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 And you know it. But the good news is that God sent His only Son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life. And He died on the cross to pay for your sins and my sins. Three days later, after dying on the cross for sins, He rose again from the dead. So that if you repent of your sins, for the forgiveness of sins, if you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord God and Savior, you will have eternal life. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word.